Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're part of the Virginia Audio Collective, the Family Podcast Network, and you can listen to us on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 8.20 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCF Podcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCF Podcast at VHHA.com. Today, we're very appreciative to have an opportunity to speak with Alicia McAllister Daniels, a Carilion Clinic nursing leader who is doing important work to raise awareness about the need for supports for healthcare professionals who are struggling with mental health challenges, an issue that is particularly personal for her. So, with that, welcome to the podcast, Alicia, and thanks for being with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. And so to begin with, congratulations are in order. Alicia has been named the Community Medical Hero Award recipient by the American Red Cross of Virginia's Southwest Chapter in recognition of her work to raise awareness about healthcare professionals who are struggling with mental health challenges. And as we mentioned, this work is inspired by personal experience for Alicia, who has dealt with the loss of her husband, Alva, last year after he endured the emotional hardship of watching patients succumb to COVID-19 while working at different hospitals around Virginia as a respiratory therapist. So with that brief background, Alicia, if you would, can you tell us about your husband, uh, who he was as a person? And, and then also, if you would, can you tell us about his, his very tragic loss? Yeah, absolutely. Alva and I met at work. I was a PICU nurse, a pediatric ICU nurse, and he was working as a respiratory therapist. And um, we met 12 years ago, we had been together for 10 years dating when we decided to get married. And so that was in October of 2020. But for the majority of our time together, he was a respiratory therapist on our neonatal pediatric transport team. And so that was a really specialized unit that, um, you know, went out by air and ground to pick up critically ill children and bring them back to Carilion Children's. And so he, you know, essentially was a medical hero um, and did a lot of saving. And um, in 2019, May of 2019, he left that position and went to be a traveler as a respiratory therapist. And so he traveled um, at a couple of different hospitals in Virginia and then at a hospital in Tennessee um, over those next two years. Um, you know, and right after, you know, 10 months after he had taken a travel position was when COVID hit. And so he was working as a respiratory therapist, mainly in COVID ICUs after March of 2020. And so, you know, that landscape changed things immensely for him. And it became a situation where they couldn't save anyone, you know, and they were losing a lot of patients each shift, especially last year during that um, that one particular surge in January, February of 2021. And so things had just gotten harder for him. And it was it was a hard thing to watch and it was a hard thing to live through. But, you know, none of us realized exactly what was going to happen. But that's kind of the trajectory of his career. He was really successful. He was he was really well known at the hospitals that he worked at for his personality because he was really gregarious and fun and always worked as a team and super, super smart. So it was nice to have somebody who could also make tough situations lighter and really jump in and help everyone. And so that I talked to a lot of the hospitals and a lot of his coworkers after he died. Um, and everybody had the same kind of story to tell about him. And so uh, that was a nice thing to hear. 
Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And it's that last anecdote you shared about the feedback you got from some of Alva's colleagues, I think is really powerful because it, it it's an important reminder that, uh, you know, we may never know what others that we come into contact with, peers, friends, family, are going through. And often, as you said, you know, he was gregarious. Uh, you know, he had a, a knack for making even challenging uh, situations uh, a little bit more manageable. So just a, another important reminder to, to just be looking out for the people around you. Uh, so, so Alicia, again, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, we did mention that you have been recognized by the American Red Cross for this Community Medical Hero Award. And some of that, I think, is reflective of the bravery you've shown in channeling these life-altering circumstances of loss into action, uh, both for yourself in terms of the grieving and healing process, but also by publicly sharing uh, this story to potentially help others. Uh, we should point out that there is related work that's happening at the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation, which uh, successfully lobbied Congress recently to pass legislation to provide additional support to healthcare professionals who may be coping with the mental tolls associated with being a medical professional uh, and witnessing patient loss, for instance, during this pandemic, as, as your husband did. Uh, Corey Feist, who leads the foundation that's named in honor of his sister-in-law, who took her life after enduring that toll, is a past guest on that pod, this podcast and has shared some of, of that experience and the work of the foundation with us. So in thinking about that and also the, the recognition that you've received, can you tell us what approach you've taken in terms of outreach and raising awareness uh, subsequent to the, the, the tragedy that you experienced? Yeah, so for me, it was really important to just be as honest as possible. It was um, shocking, right? And so I never once thought about keeping it a secret about what happened with him. And that in itself, I think, has struck a chord with a lot of people. Um, I had a lot of people reach out to me um, by social media and personally who said things like, thank you for your honesty. I, you know, I've gone through something similar or I lost a coworker or I lost a family member and we chose not to be as honest as you are about it. And I think that that is something really important, you know, for all of us as a society to help change the stigma around mental health struggles, um, especially for healthcare workers, because we're not the best at asking for help. So for me, it was just an organic process to be honest about it. And then the Washington Post reached out to me around Thanksgiving of this year, and that journalist was had been doing a year-long series about the effects of COVID, um, and she had gotten a hold of my husband's obituary. And so in talking with her, I felt like it was an important story to tell, and I appreciated the way that she was going to tell it. And so we worked on that in November and December. That came out at the end of December. And that particular article, there were over 300,000 hits on the Washington Post site for that article in particular. The Surgeon General tweeted the article. Um, several celebrities sent the article out in their newsletters and on their social media, media pages. So I think that in itself reached people nationally. And then in preparation for that coming out, we did an internal series here at Carilion Clinic. I was really concerned that people, colleagues of his, were going to stumble across the Washington Post article, and, and I didn't want it to take them by surprise. And so 
in thinking of that and in, in taking the angle of resources, resources and support. I worked with our EAP here, our Employee Assistance Program, and our Carillion Media team to make sure that, you know, we were telling our teams about it in a thoughtful way and also offering support so that they knew what was available to them here in the system if they were struggling. So those internal communications went out the week of Christmas and in preparation for the Post article coming out. And so we have 14,000 plus employees at Carillion. So it went out to all of them via email and it was in our internal system on the intranet. So those were some things that we did internally here and then with the national article. Since then, I did have I did have media reach out to me immediately after the Washington Post article came out and at that time I chose not to do anything else. I just needed a break. You know, it was right after the holidays and it had been a lot. So I took a little bit of a break and then then I found out that I had won this award, which was such an honor and and it felt really nice to kind of go back and revisit some of some of the media that had been done and be able to talk about it in a different way now that didn't feel quite as raw as it did back in the fall. So I think that even people who may not have seen the originals back in December, I think that having having this communication now related to the Red Cross has been helpful also just to bring it back up for awareness purposes. Well, again, thank you for taking us through that experience. And you mentioned the Washington Post article and the approach that the writer took. And one of the things that I observed in the article was your candor about how you are processing all of this. And and I do want to ask, um, out of a place of genuine concern, how are you doing in all of this? As you said, it was much more raw because the the tragedy was more recent at the time of the reporting and composition of that article. I know you've gone through a process that you, again, have been very candid and open about. How are you doing at this point, um, some months removed from that loss and, and having some more time to, to process all of this? Well, I'm closing in on nine months. And so at the beginning, you, just any kind of acute grief like that, you're in fight or flight. It's all about survival. And I'm able to go back and look at that time period and realize how foggy I was and how it really was just about surviving every day. We also had our, um, my birthday's in October, um, and then two days later was our first wedding anniversary, and then four days later was Alva's birthday. And so two months in, I had to get through those giant milestones. (laughs) And so, you know, that took a lot of mental preparation. And then getting through the holidays and working on that article. So I really just was trying to make it through everything and kind of white knuckle my way through it. I did utilize our in-house EAP counseling for about five or six weeks, five or six sessions. And that was helpful to kind of get me through a transition period. I also reached out. I'm a yoga instructor. I finished uh, my yoga training last year, last May, and, and it was yoga and mindfulness and meditation. And so having those tools to go back and rely on was immensely helpful for me. Um, So I started going back to some of my favorite yoga classes and reached out to some of my instructors who also have backgrounds in grief and healing. And so I did some sessions with them back in the fall. 
that was really helpful. And then over the last four months, I've started one-to-one counseling um, and I have a fabulous counselor. And so she's very, very helpful. And then I've also done some work with the grief support network that's based out in Colorado. I've done a six-week mindful grieving course with them that incorporated journaling and meditation and yoga. And right now I'm doing a 16-week course with them that is a book club. And so having those tools has been, it's just been good for me. I was an ICU nurse, so I am able to deal with tragedy and I'm able to compartmentalize it. And so you know, that can be a good thing and a bad thing. And so it was helpful for me to know that I had those sessions coming up or I had my my group therapy coming up so that I could kind of compartmentalize during the week and at work and then know that I had that group coming up like on the weekend or like right now my classes are on Wednesday nights. And so I know that that's my time that I can kind of let it all come out. But also having said that, I've also tried to be really honest on a day-to-day basis about how I'm feeling. And so like my team at work, you know, sometimes they know if if I show up in scrubs and no makeup on, it's probably not a great day. And so everybody's just a little bit gentler with me. And I just, I think grief is interesting in our society. There's a lot of cultures that like they wear something for a year after they've had an acute loss like this. So it's just sort of an awareness thing so that when you see someone with this thing on, you know that that they're grieving something. And I think that's such an interesting concept. So I do, I think that we have work to do as a society, but for me, I think that I have really taken hold of all of those different resources and tried to use them as carefully as I can. I also, after the holidays, I just shut myself off from everyone. (laughs) And I very um, intentionally had a lot of solitude. And it worked out perfectly because it was winter and it was freezing outside and we were having another surge. So there wasn't anything fun to do anyway. And so I just used that time to do a ton of therapy and to really mindfully go through Alva's belongings and choose what I wanted to keep and what I wanted to donate. And so that was a That was a healing process for me. So seasonally, I think it's worked out well. And and then with spring coming and, you know, the days getting longer and things like that, I just I'm feeling better. I'm feeling more normal. You know, it still comes. The grief still comes. And people always talk about grief coming in waves. And so it absolutely comes in waves and things will hit me at a certain time and I can, you know, I can cry about it, I can sob about it, but it doesn't put me down in a hole like it did before. So I feel like I'm doing pretty well considering. Well, again, I just want to really express my appreciation and admiration for your candor and your vulnerability and honesty in discussing an obviously personal and, and difficult subject. So thank you so much for that. Uh, and it's also great to hear you talking about how you've availed yourself of available resources. And so one question I would have for you is, um, what advice would you offer or what appeal would you make to another healthcare professional who may listen to this and who may be struggling emotionally or mentally with mental or emotional burnout or, or fatigue? What would you say to them to encourage them to go seek out those resources, whether it's it's counseling or, as you said, meditation or yoga, whatever it is that's going to potentially help a person cope with some of the things that they're experiencing? 
Well, I think seeking out any kind of resources is helpful, just like all of the things that you mentioned and the things that I've done. The other thing that the way that my brain works is by researching things. And if I can read about it and read about evidence related to it, it helps me understand it. And so I would almost say, no, I definitely would say, and I have, I've done this with other, with other widows. I'm a part of a couple different widow groups. And so whenever I hear that they're a healthcare worker or they're a med student or something, I have sent them some articles because I think it's really helpful to look at the research behind depression and suicidal ideation and feelings of hopelessness and understand where they're coming from and then also understand look at the research behind building resiliency and and finding what works for you and so i think i think for healthcare workers there's a part of that that may resonate in that research part you know i also think just finding that thing or that person that you feel honest with. And, and even if it's not a person, even if it's your dog or, you know, it's being out in the sunshine and being in nature, whatever that is that fills your soul, just trying to find that after a hard day at work and when you're not feeling like you can go on, just finding whatever that is and trying to drink up as much of that as possible. I think that those are useful. Well, good advice. I appreciate you being so generous with your time today. Before we let you go, I do have two other questions for you. These are more lighthearted. These are questions <laughs> that we ask everybody who's on the podcast. Uh, to keep things interesting, we have created a list of 10 mystery questions, and we're going to allow you to select two numbers between 1 and 10, which will correspond to the questions that I ask you. So when you're ready, give me two numbers between 1 and 10. Ooh, I would like seven and eight, please. Okay, seven. If you could choose one superpower to have or <laughs> any one skill to instantly master, what would it be and why? Superpower. I have asked and answered this question before, but I think right now my superpower, it would almost be time travel, but I don't think so because I think that could be dangerous. So I think I would just like the ability to fly so that then I could go to wherever I want quickly. Okay, that makes sense. And then, <laughs> it totally does. And then to close on an uplifting note, um, tell me one memory from your life that whenever you think of it, it makes you smile. <laughs> okay, so that's dog related. Uh, so I'm a Great Dane mom, um, and my first Great Dane's name was Vegas, and my second Great Dane's name is Avit, and he is going to be eight soon, and so both of those dogs have brought me so much joy. So, yeah, they make me smile whenever I think of them. Okay. Is that Avit for the Avit brothers or some other instance? No, definitely for the Avit brothers. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Well, listen. I appreciate you being with us today and for sharing some, some very personal thoughts and, and emotions with us. And with that, that's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Alicia McAllister-Daniels, a nursing leader at Krillian Clinic, for joining us today and sharing some of her experiences with us. So thank you. 
Thank you so much.